One of the action steps from the message last weekend was to look for, and I hope you've been doing that, and listen to the nudges of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit prompts us and prods us, we want to be a people who practice immediate obedience. Over the past couple months, I've gotten to know a couple guys at a coffee house I hang out at and working on my sermon. I met them several months ago, and like you, you meet somebody and they give their names. I didn't remember their names. Come on, you do the same thing. But every time we'd see each other, we'd kind of nod or wave to one another. In that initial conversation, they knew that I was a pastor, so have never really had much conversation. Well, this past Wednesday, I sensed a nudge from the Holy Spirit. When it was time to refill my coffee, I walked by the table that they were seated at, which was a little out of the way. I just sensed that that's what I needed to do. When I came up to the table, one of them stopped me, and he asked me a question. This was the question. Where in the Bible does it say God helps those who help themselves? <laughs> I smiled, and I told them, well, that phrase isn't in the Bible. Uh, that comes from Aesop's fables. That was popularized by Benjamin Franklin. They both had looks on their faces like they didn't believe me. I don't think they thought I knew my Bible. <laughs> well, then the other guy stepped up to the plate. Here's his question. Where in the Bible does it say cleanliness is next to godliness? I smiled and I replied, strike two. <laughs> that statement's not in scripture either. It probably came from a mom trying to get her kids to clean their rooms. I could tell that answer was unsatisfactory. I think now at this point, they knew I didn't know my Bible very well. Well, then I went back to the first guy who asked me a question, and here's his question. Doesn't it say somewhere in the Bible that the Pharisees focused on having clean dishes, but their hearts were like ugly and dirty? I said, yes. Yes, it does. And so I went over to where my table was. I came back with my Bible, and I opened it up to Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 and 26. I read it out loud. Actually, I read it loudly in the middle of this busy coffee house. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of good and greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. That led to a discussion about our unholy hearts. And I told them, I have an unholy heart. There's darkness in my heart. And like all of us as humans, we tend to focus on the outside, cleaning up activity or behavior or what other people can see. And Jesus is saying, don't spend a lot of time on the outside. Make sure that the inside gets clean and only Jesus can do that cleanup Work. Now, because the Holy Spirit had opened that door, I was able to give each of them a gospel pamphlet and even invite them to church. Now, I tell you all that to say this. That prompting of the Holy Spirit was very subtle. All I sensed was I needed to walk by their 
table. I'm glad I did uh, because God used that. My guess is for all of us, the promptings you're going to receive as you look for them and listen for them, will most will be subtle. Sometimes they're very strong. Now, as we dive in today, let me set this up with a question. I'll ask it, you consider it. Here it goes. Would you rather have Jesus right next to you or have the Holy Spirit within you? One pastor put it like this, when Jesus was on earth, his miraculous work was contained to wherever he was at the moment. Now that he's in us, his power is wherever we are. The spirit inside us is better than Jesus beside us. In John 16, 7, go ahead and turn there. Jesus said it would be to our benefit that he would go away so that the spirit could come. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Now, let's set the context again. Jesus has been with the disciples for three and a half years. They've watched him teach. They've watched him heal people. They've spent time with him. And now he's talking about leaving. And they're upset about that. They're unsettled about it. And Jesus says, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That word, nevertheless, that serves as a contrast or an antithesis to what the disciples were feeling. And then Jesus said something to really get their attention. He said, I tell you the truth. Well, everything Jesus said was true, but when he's saying this, that's communicating that he's about to say something extremely important. And what he said next, maybe not shocking to us, totally shocking to them, it's to your advantage that I go away. This word advantage means useful, profitable, beneficial. There is no way that that's what the disciples were thinking. How could it be to their advantage that Jesus would go away? Of what benefit would it be for Jesus to be gone? How could anything be better than having Jesus right next to them? And so Jesus proceeded to tell them why his departure would be profitable for them. If I do not go away the helper, there's that word again, will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Notice Jesus uses the word go three times in this passage to help the disciples understand he was really going to leave them. And then he uses the word send, which means to dispatch or thrust out. He said, I'm going to send the spirit to you. That leads to our main idea. This is borrowed from another pastor, the spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. Now, while Jesus could not physically be everywhere geographically at once, the Holy Spirit was everywhere present at the same time. Let me bring it to where we live. If you've been born of the Spirit through the new birth, the Holy Spirit indwells you. He walks with you, and he prompts you in your culture, in your setting, and in your Context. So we're continuing in our series on the Holy Spirit. We're calling it our Holy Helper. Last weekend, we focused on who the Holy Spirit is, and we unpacked just two verses, John 14, 16, and 17, and we celebrated this truth. If you've been born of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is your Holy Helper who will, be all, who will always be with you while doing his work within you.
And we learn seven truths as we walk through those two verses about the identity of the Holy Spirit. He is God. He's the third member of the Trinity. He takes Jesus' place on earth. The Holy Spirit is our helper. He will never leave us. He's the Spirit of truth. He is knowable for believers, and he dwells within believers. Several of you have already mentioned that you got some help from our most recent Edgewood 4G podcast. We record a podcast every Wednesday. It usually drops late in the day on Wednesday. The topic last weekend or last Wednesday was the sermon, and Pastor Kyle and I went deeper on that and thought of some ways we could apply that. If you're looking for more resources, you can find a link to that podcast and two others that we have at Edgewood. You can get to that in our website or our mobile uh, app. If you subscribe, the newest episode will automatically download on your phone. Now today, we're going to continue in chapter 14, 15, and 16 of John, and we're going to move from the Holy Spirit's identity to his activity, from who he is to what he does. And I see six main activities in this section of scripture. Let's jump in. Number one, teaching. Consider the first half of John 14, 26. Jesus said these words, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. We see again, he's called the helper. And notice how all three members of the Trinity are involved. Sometimes people say, well, the Trinity's not in the Bible. Well, check this. The Father sends the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Incidentally, this is the only time the name Holy Spirit is found in these three chapters. In the original, it reads like this, the Spirit, the Holy One. And the Holy Spirit instructs in at least two ways. How does he do his teaching? Well, first, he inspired the scriptures so that what we need to know in order to grow, what we need to know in order to get to know God, the Holy Spirit put it in this book we call the Bible. So it's through the inspiration of scripture. Listen to 2 Peter 1.21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by, listen for it, the Holy Spirit. But secondly, he does his teaching through the work of illumination, inspiration, and then illumination to help us understand the scriptures when we read them. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says we can only understand and discern the scriptures through the Spirit. So the Spirit of God will always point us to the Word of God as the source of all truth. Listen to Ephesians 1, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation of the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. And so when you're reading scripture to say, Holy Spirit, help me understand. Help me understand what this passage is saying. So through the teaching of the Holy Spirit, we become aware of who God is, who we are, how we can be saved from our sins, how we can be sanctified for service. And so it's imperative that we spend time in the word of God seeking the Spirit's illumination and understanding. 
It's also important to gather with God's people like we're doing here in a local church so we can grow as our holy helper equips us through those who have the spiritual gifts of preaching and teaching. Friends, the spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. Second rule, reminding. The helper teaches us. He also reminds us of things we already know. I'm in the last part of verse 26. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. It's one thing to be taught something new, but it's another to remember what we already have learned. Jennifer Wilkin says this, we do not always need new truths. We need to be reminded of old truths recently forgotten. The word remembrance means to put into one's mind, to call to mind, to recollect. So specifically, the Holy Spirit made sure that the disciples didn't forget all that Jesus had taught them. And you know, from reading the Gospels, the disciples didn't get it. And so the Holy Spirit's job, one of his jobs is to remind them of what they already had heard. Now, let's apply it to us. Some of us have been walking with Jesus for a long time, and maybe we think, oh, I want to learn something new. There's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of new things to learn. But listen, most of us need to be reminded of what we already know to be True. Second Peter 1 says, I intend to always remind you of these qualities, though you know of them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Same book, chapter 3, verse 1. This is now the second letter I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Now, In our culture, in our language, the word remember is kind of like this. Oh, yeah, now I remember. And then we just go on. But no, the word remember in the Bible implies a change of behavior. So our lives line up with what we've been reminded of. So remembering is not a passive attitude. It's this positive action, this proactive activity which leads to action. So we're to ponder and we're to put it into practice. We're called to remember so we can recalibrate our lives according to what we've just remembered. Now, one of the results of living in a fallen world is forgetfulness. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to help us remember. One pastor puts it strongly. Most Christians are educated way beyond their level of obedience already. Well, let me back up. Most of us already know things that we're not living. So we're educated beyond our level of obedience. And yet, like you, I do it too. I want to learn something new. And yet I got all this stuff I'm not living out. And so one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to stir us up by way of reminder so that we put into practice what we already know to be true because the spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. Third role is to witness. I'm in John 15 now, verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Oh, we see the Trinity working together again as Jesus will send the helper, the spirit of truth, 
who proceeds from the Father. The Nicene Creed was written in A.D. 325. It was a response to those who denied the divinity of Jesus. That creed was revised in 381 in reaction to a heresy that denied the divinity of the Holy Spirit. So no doubt they had this verse in mind as they formulated the creed. I'll read it and you listen. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, with the Father and the Son. He, the Holy Spirit, is worshiped and glorified. See, the Holy Spirit bears witness about Jesus. To bear witness means to testify to the truth about what someone has seen, what they've heard, what they've experienced. And so the helper doesn't promote himself. No, he points people to Christ. We see that in the book of Acts where his activity shows up like 59 times in the book of Acts, more than twice per chapter. The Holy Spirit bears witness about Jesus. And would you note, we're to do the same thing, verse 27, and you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. The Spirit and those born of the Spirit testify to the truth of the good news of the gospel. The Holy Spirit empowers us to bear witness by being witnesses to our neighbors and to the nations. Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Well, then what? Well, then you'll be my witnesses. Where? Start where you live. Start where you are. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to your enemies, and then out to the end of the earth. By the way, perhaps the Spirit has been prompting you to get more involved in missions, in supporting a missionary, in praying for a missionary, or even going on a short-term mission trip. This summer, we're planning to have two different missions trips, one to the country of Belize. We've been there several times, three or four times with different groups, and also planning to take a trip to Mexico. So if this is something you like to explore, uh, we'll be uh, having an interest meeting on Saturday, December 2nd at 3 p.m. in the Life Center. So the Spirit inside you, oh, that's better than having Jesus beside you. Number four, convicting. That's at this point we might start getting a little uncomfortable. This is a courtroom term. It was used of a judge condemning those who are guilty In John 16, we read, beginning in verse 8, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of the world is judged. The word convict means to prove one is wrong. So our holy helper does his convicting work in three areas. So here's the first point at which we might become uncomfortable. For many of us, we don't like to call what we do sin. We can rationalize it. We can justify it. We can blame others for it. And we can ignore it. All those things. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin because you and I are self-centered and selfish sinners. 
Secondly, he convicts us of righteousness, that only God is righteous, and in light of that, we are unholy and unrighteous. And thirdly, judgment, where sin and unrighteousness meet, judgment follows. So let me say it clearly. If you do not believe in and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, you will be, not might be, you will be judged forever in a place called hell. Now, that's one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit, to convict us. Even while I'm speaking, you might now might be going, oh, what I just did last night, you're you're like, oh, that wasn't right. What you said with your mouth to your loved one, to your family member, to your neighbor, the Holy Spirit might be convicted. Listen, don't ignore that conviction. When he convicts, you own it and make that right. Now, I find it very helpful that we don't need to convince people that they're unrighteous sinners headed to judgment. Here's why. You and I are not prosecutors. You and I are not the judge. So what are we? Yes, we're witnesses who tell people about sin and righteousness and judgment, and then we leave the convicting up to our holy helper. Now, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ paid the price for all of our sins. And when we repent of our sins and receive Jesus into our life, this is such good news, we will be declared righteous and will avoid the eternal judgment that we deserve. Now, the Bible says that there are a couple ways that we can short-circuit the Holy Spirit's convicting work in our lives. Now, you be open to what the Spirit wants to apply to you, and I'll do the same. Number one, do you know it's possible to grieve the Holy Spirit, to make him sad? Well, Ephesians 4, 30 and 31, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's verse 30, so don't grieve. Verse 31 tells us how that can happen. And listen to these words. They, they kind of have to do with relationships. <laughs> Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So the word grieve means to make sad or sorry. You ever thought of that, that you and I can make the Holy Spirit sad when we hold on to gross stuff in our lives? When we live in tension and unforgiveness with people around us, when we allow relational grievances to foment bitterness in our lives? Pastor Rich Kraft, who's been teaching a class here on Wednesday mornings on the Holy Spirit, um, He was the longtime pastor at Homewood Evangelical Free Church, a good friend of mine. Listen to what he wrote. When we submit to the Holy Spirit every moment of every day, the awesome power of God at work in our lives is overwhelming. When we fail to surrender ourselves, we not only grieve the Holy Spirit, but we miss out on this great intended blessing that comes from God. Why would anyone want to do that? Okay, so that's the first one. The second one, are you aware that you can quench the Holy Spirit? 
First Thessalonians 5:19, do not quench the spirit. To quench means to put out a fire by throwing water on it, to put a damper on it, to throw stuff on it, to, to try to get it to go out. So listen, when we ignore the Holy Spirit, when we ignore his conviction, when we know something we're doing is wrong and we justify it and we do it anyway, when we compromise our morals, when we compromise biblical convictions, the fire of the Holy Spirit can be reduced to smoldering embers in our lives. And so maybe today you're like, God's far from me and I I just feel flat. Well, sometimes that happens and you can't even explain the why. And sometimes it's because you're going through stuff through no fault of your own. I get all that. But listen, sometimes it's because we have quenched the Holy Spirit. And we no longer can hear, we no longer sense because we've persisted in living the way we want to and and the Holy Spirit wants us to confess and turn. Uh, The good news is that if that's you today, if the fire seems to just be embers that are smoking, oh, there's there's hope. Uh, Listen to what we read in 2 Timothy 1.6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Another translation says it like this. Keep ablaze the gift of God that is in you. Keep it on fire. Got questions says it like this. The Lord's presence is often described as a consuming fire. Fire represents real passion, enthusiasm, power, illumination, purity. The fire of God's presence exists in every Christian through the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Friends, that's why you and I must be careful to not grieve him or to quench him. And one of the best ways to make sure we're not grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit is to keep short accounts Short accounts with God, where when we sin, the Holy Spirit convicts us, and we're quick to own it. God, I sin, not just like, oh, I lost my temper. God, I sinned with my words when I blew up at my family member. That's sin. I ask you to forgive me. Or, and, that's your response to the person you've sinned against. God, forgive Please forgive me for what I just said, for what I just did. So when you mess up, own it. When you sin, confess it. When you've wronged someone, make it right. The good news, 1 John 1, 9, not only will you be forgiven, but there's a second phrase in there, you'll be cleansed from all unrighteousness. One of my pastor friends says it way better than I can. I wish I could write like this. Check this. Unconfessed sin in the life of the believer is like an open wound that rots progressively and fills the air with such a pungent odor that God's presence is repelled. He waits to restore relationship until the believer has asked him to forgive the sin, cleanse the wound, heal it, and restore the fullness of relationship. The spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. 
Number five, guiding. Another role of the Spirit is to guide believers into truth. We see this in chapter 16, verse 13. He, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. The word guide means to lead the way as the leader. So everything the Holy Spirit does and says is true. He will never lead you into something contrary to the word of God. And in a world filled with error and heresy, the propagation and protection of truth is one of the main ministries of the Holy Spirit. And since the Spirit is committed to lead us, I think of the high schoolers who are just on retreat, focusing on God's will. I came across this verse. I hope I remember it because I forget things. Listen to this verse, Psalm 143, verse 10. What a great prayer to pray. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. As I mentioned last weekend, the Holy Spirit also prompts and prods us to accomplish specific tasks and assignments. I think of Acts chapter 8 when the Holy Spirit nudged Philip to get next to the Ethiopian eunuch so he could understand a passage he was reading. He was reading from the book of Isaiah. Let me circle back to our loan payoff. I had the joy of going with Dale Steele and Rocky Jones, two of our deacons, to the headquarters for IH Mississippi Valley Credit Union to settle the final paperwork and to pay that paid off our expansion and renovation loan. After meeting a guy named Elliot, he's the new loan officer, and reconnecting with a young woman named Carly who just received a promotion to headquarters and just happens to attend Edgewood. We sat down and discussed some of the details. So here's the setting. We're in this glass-enclosed conference room right on River Drive, kind of looking out on the Mississippi River. We're in this conference room, and Elliot says, so what did you do? I mean, how did you get so much money to come in? You must have really laid it on strong with your people. And I said, no, God provided. And he's like, no, but really, what did you guys do? And I, the only way we can explain is that God provided. And the Holy Spirit steered that conversation and allowed us to talk about God's grace in our own lives. And it was then that I received a strong prompting. I started with talking about a gentle prompting. This was a strong prompting. And I sensed the Holy Spirit wanted us right then and there to pray right in this conference room at this credit union and give all glory to God. And so I turned to Elliot and I said, hey, let's pray together. And he took his hands and turned them over like this. And all five of us held hands in this conference room of people walking by and just gave glory to God for what he has done. You and I, we must follow the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit. Number six, glorifying. That's the final role of the Holy Spirit from the Gospel of John. He will glorify me for he'll take what is mine and declare it 
to you. That's chapter 16, verse 14. To glorify means to honor, to praise, to prize, to esteem. We could say it like this. The Son reveals and glorifies the Father. The Spirit reveals and glorifies the Son. The Holy Spirit brings glory to Jesus, not to himself. We see that in 1 Corinthians 12. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So in short, the Spirit has been sent to showcase the Son, to shine the spotlight on his words and his work of redemption. I want to point something out. The phrase, he will, is repeated seven times in verses 13 through 15 to show the absolute certainty of what the Holy Spirit will do. Listen for the words, he will, they'll be up on the screen. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And then we read what he will not do. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine. I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, before wrapping up, the Bible mentions at least 11 other roles of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to mention them very quickly, very briefly for the sake of time. If you want to dive deeper on this, there's some notes out in both lobbies. You can get these on your app or the full text of our sermon manuscript. Number one, the Holy Spirit will give us words to say when we don't know what to say. Number two, the Holy Spirit gives us the power to put to death the deeds of the body. Three, he gives us the spirit of adoption as children. Four, the Holy Spirit gives us hope in hopeless situations. Number five, the Holy Spirit produces holiness within us. Six, he gives us spiritual gifts to be used in his service in order to build up the body of Christ. More about that next weekend. Number seven, the Holy Spirit calls some to be missionaries by setting them apart for the work to which he called them, Acts 13. Number eight, the Holy Spirit produces God's love in our hearts. Nine, the Holy Spirit prays for us. Ten, the Holy Spirit causes the fruit of the Spirit to ripen in our lives. We'll talk more about that next week. And number 11, the main work of the Holy Spirit is to transform us through the new birth. John 3, 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit changes us from sinners to saints. We go from being enemies to becoming friends of God, from those who were spiritually dead to become fully spiritually alive. Titus 3, 5. He saved us not because of works we have done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. I close with a couple questions. Number one. Have you been born of the Spirit? If not, it's time to listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, to repent of your sins and receive the gift of salvation through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Question number two, is Christianity more a set of beliefs to which you adhere to, a lifestyle to which you conform or do you have a dynamic relationship in which you walk by the Spirit and move in his power? Galatians 3.3 3 is very probing. Are you so foolish 
having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? I'm going to invite you to join me. I'm going to pray an excerpt of a prayer from the Valley of Vision. O Holy Spirit, give me thyself without measure as an unimpaired fountain, an inexhaustible source of riches. I bewail my coldness, my poverty, my emptiness, my imperfect vision, my languid service, my prayerless prayers and praiseless praises. Suffer me not to grieve or resist thee. Magnify to me thy glory by being magnified in me and make me redolent of thy fragrance. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, may the Holy Spirit enable us to give off the sweet fragrance of Jesus everywhere we go this week to the glory of God the Father.